We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be go- joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, September 7th, and it is that time of the year. We are pre- preparing for week one of the NFL season. It's been a long, long, drawn-out offseason, said. How are we doing today, man? I am doing well. I mean, NFL offseason is coming to an end. College football is also in full swing as we kind of get set here for week one of the NFL season and week two of college football. So all around, it's just a great time. How are you doing? Yeah, doing good. Just preparing for this upcoming weekend slate of games. Uh, Really excited for Thursday when we have, I think, the Buccaneers and Cowboys facing off to kick off the NFL year. We had also had a really fun weekend of college football that we're going to be discussing as well. And just to go over kind of the meat of this podcast today, talking about college football in terms of recapping what we saw out of the quarterbacks from week one of the college football season and how, you know, this upcoming quarterback class is very wide open in terms of what we're seeing so far. And then previewing, looking ahead to week two of the season for college football before getting our preview and predictions in for this Bears Rams game for the Sunday night outing. Uh, which should be a fun game in prime time, at least we hope. Um, but we do have some Bears news to discuss to kick this thing off, you said, and that starts with Jimmy Graham having his contract restructured. So for those that this, missed this earlier today, Jimmy Graham had his contract restructured where you know he had one year left on his deal at about a $10 million cap hit. And due to the fact that the Bears, they were currently, you know, with some of the moves they made over the past week or so, cutting down their roster, uh, getting some guys in the practice squad, they didn't have enough money um, to keep themselves under the salary cap due to some of the moves that they made. So they had to uh, free up some cap space in some way just to get under the salary cap, and they opted to go with the option of restructuring Jimmy Graham, um, adding four void years, or basically just dummy years. They're basically in a, um, basically just a way to stretch out his money when they converted his salary into a signing bonus, essentially, is the way this works. And that leaves him with a $4 million 
about a four million dead cap charge in 2022. So uh, I, I wanted to start off with this, you say, because it brings into this overall discussion of where the fares are at the salary cap situation here. And this is something where uh, it's, I, I've been talking about this a lot all offseason, how, you know, a lot of Bears fans keep bringing up the fact that they have, you know, $40 million, million to play with in salary cap space next year. And I've been, you know, been persistent with this, that, you know, that figure is very misleading. They have a lot of dead, dead cap money to deal with there. They have a lot of needs. They have a lot of roster spaces to fill. And in terms of like the dead money, you add that, you know, Jimmy Graham onto that, on top of that now, the Bears are slated to have about $16 million in dead cap space going into 2022. When you look at uh, the Charles Leno, his contract being stretched with the, uh, the post-June 1st um, provision in terms of when he got released. Uh, you had the Annie Dalton contract on the book. You got some other minor deals like Jermaine Ifedi, Damian Williams, Sean Gibson, Jesse James. All their money is on the cap sheet for 2022, yet they're not going to be on the roster. So those that just fake money due to fake years in their contracts, essentially. And, you know, the Bears, you know, that $16 million could be going to other areas where they could address for this team. And I bring this up because, you know, we talk about Justin Fields, the fact that you have a quarterback on a rookie contract. What's the most valuable commodity? A rookie franchise quarterback on a rookie contract where he's very cheap to have on the roster and you can basically load the roster around him. And we're getting to a point here, we look at the cap situation where, you know, the Bears, the, the first couple of years here, it looks like they're just not going to be able to manage this correctly. And I think Jimmy Graham is a big part of that. But there are some other issues here that which maybe you can get into here. And, and I'll go with you on this. You know, looking at this cap situation, you know, what are your kind of thoughts on, first of all, the Jimmy Graham restructure and, and what their thinking is here? But just overall, you know, what do you think the, the, the outlook here is going forward for this team in terms of a long-term outlook uh, for this franchise? Well, it's tough to determine whether there really is a long-term outlook because if you look at the Bears roster right now, I mean, everyone's going to kind of talk about how the long-term outlook surrounds Justin Fields and everything needs to revolve around Justin Fields. Now, that's certainly true, but then at the end of the day, I mean – if everything is going to revolve around the quarterback position and Justin Fields, well, you have to ask yourself, are the Bears really set up for long-term success around Justin? Not necessarily, because you're talking about Darnell Mooney being the only wide receiver under contract for 2022. You're talking about what could end up being another year of a makeshift offensive line. Not to say the Bears offensive line is bad by any means, but it's certainly not what a lot of people expected it to be. And then flip over the defensive side of the ball. I mean, guys like Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson, two of your biggest stars are getting older. Yeah, Jalen Johnson, Roquan Smith are continuing to emerge. But then also the Bears kind of wasted resources. That Robert Quinn contract's the biggest stain on the Bears roster right now. Akeem Hicks is also getting older, and Akeem Hicks has asked for an extension, and the Bears haven't extended him yet, which leads me to think, hey, Akeem going into a contract year, are the Bears just going to kind of let him play things out and let him walk next offseason, or is this going to be something where they kind of sign him to a cheap extension and kind of go the Danny Trevathan route, paying him whatever, eight, nine million dollars a year? And so really when you look at this, I mean, and our guy Aaron Lemming wrote an article on this for the Bear Report. Four moves explain why the Bears roster and the salary cap situation is the way it is. The trade for Nick Foles, the signing of Danny Trevathan, the signing of Robert Quinn, 
And then the fourth move would be the Jimmy Graham move. I mean, what the Bears need to do is this and realize that they've only got like 30, 35 players under contract for next offseason. And the major contract extensions and needs are going to revolve around bringing back James Daniels, Allen Robinson, Roquan Smith, Bilal Nichols. Then you don't have a first and fourth round pick. So how do you continue to team build without significantly reaching into 2023 and 2024 draft capital as well? So right now for the Bears, it's an iffy situation. And let's just play hypothetical here. Let's say Pace and Nagy get fired once the calendar turns to January 2022. I mean, yeah, Justin Fields and some of the young pieces on this roster make the Bears an attractive opening, but the lack of resources, knowing that it's probably going to take two years to dig the Bears out of this hole, makes this such an unattractive opening across the NFL compared to other openings that we could anticipate right now. Yeah, I tweeted out uh, like a week ago, week or so ago, but the 2020 offseason is the gift that keeps on giving for this Bears team. And it's uh, not in a good way, uh, because when you look at you talk about those four moves right there, all those happened in the 2020 offseason uh, where we talk about extending Dan Trevathan to a backloaded contract, Jimmy Graham extension, overpaying him. Um, I know he had I, a lot of Bears fans like to bring up the fact that he had all these touchdowns last year. Look, the fact of the matter is that Jimmy Graham is a old aging tight end who can't block uh, is not explosive uh, in terms of getting you explosive plays down the field. Isn't a, a, you know, a nice option in terms of getting yards after the catch. He's basically useless in between the twenties, basically for 80 yards uh, in the field. You know, he's pretty much a useless player out there, but I mean, yeah, he can catch a couple jump balls in the end zone in the red zone here and there, but that's not what you pay. $10 million on the cap hit for like, that's, that's not what you're paying uh, for, for a tight end. You want a guy who can be more of an all around threat for you. And if he's just a jump ball specialist in the, in the red zone, um, you know, I, I think that's a waste of resources right there. And you talk about that contract right there. The Robert Quinn one has been, has been just really bad uh, from the start, really. I mean, he struggled last year and then, you know, it's it's not looking like he's going to be that much of an impact player this year, based off of uh, you know what we we've heard and what we've seen from him so far in preseason. And then you look at the Nick Foles deal. I mean, not only did they give up a fourth round pick for him, they backload that deal. They basically ensure that he's on this roster for two years, and he's basically he's getting paid ten million dollars in the cap hit this year just to be a third string quarterback, to be essentially a quarterback coach. So that, I mean, that's just a waste of resources right there. And when we look at where this team is at in 2022, you know, in terms of the dead money accumulated to get rid of all these guys right here, you already have $4.6 million, like I already mentioned, with Jimmy Graham. So let's say they want to cut Nick Foles. Well, that's about $7.5 million dead money that's not being used in your roster. You're only saving $3 million in the cap hit uh, to get him off the roster for you as your back quarterback. Robert Quinn, a lot of fans bring up that you can save a good amount of money by uh, releasing Robert Quinn. Well, if you just cut him outright at the beginning of the offseason, uh, do not use a June 1st uh, cut right there. Uh, you have a $9.3 million cap hit in dead money for him with only $6.5 million in cap savings right there. So that's not very good right there. And then Dan Trevathan is a tough one because if you cut him outright, you know, he, you actually lose money on, in cap space because he has so much money backloaded on his deal, the way they structured it. Uh, so essentially, if you cut him outright, you basically have about $9 million on the cap hit for him not to play for you in 2022. But if you June 1st cut him, you're only saving about $2.5 million 
with a $2 million dead cap hit, uh, you know, in 2022. But then you look at 2023, $6 million of that cap hit is being pushed into 2023. So it hurts. So it's like a damn if you do, damn if you don't situation with Dan Trevathan's where if you drew, if you cut him post June 1st, yeah, you're saving a little bit of cap money this year, but you're also pushing dead money into 2023 where you otherwise would want to, you know, save money on that year to where you can be actually very aggressive. That's when things are actually going to open up a little bit for them in terms of the actual cap space that they can spend to improve the roster. And if you're pushing that money into the future there, it's just very, it's not very beneficial. So let, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that they decide to just cut, they cut bait with all these guys um, and just cut them normally. How much dead money would they be accumulating just for those four contracts alone in 2022 to not play on their team? That's going to be about, you look at it, 17 million, about 26 million. So about $31 million dollars in dead money to not play for them and that doesn't even include the 12 or so million so that's over basically when you look at all those contracts here they've accumulated that's over 40 million dollars in dead money when you count the dalton deal to that when you count Jermaine fetty's deal to that when you count some of the minor deals in dead money that they rolled over over 40 million dollars in dead money and it, it comes to a situation to where yeah I mean, you want to be able to build a roster on Justin Fields, but you better hope that Justin Fields is great out of the gate because if he's not, 2022 is set to be a tough year for you because you currently look at how many players they have on the roster currently. Uh, currently speaking, they only have 26 players on the roster. And, you know, $42 million in, in, in you know, salary cap, I mean, that, that's fine, but Think about the players they have to extend or replace. You have, to, you have to extend or replace Allen Robinson, your number one wide receiver, one of the 10 best wide receivers in the game right now. You have to extend or replace Bilal Nichols, who is really one of the only young rising players on that defensive line for you going forward here. And then you got James Daniels, part of that offensive line that has seen so much. You talked about it being a makeshift unit over the past couple of years. You know, what happens when you have to get rid of a guy like James Daniels or let him walk in free agency? That's another draft pick that you had in the second round that's out the door now um, because you can't afford him going into the offseason here. So that, those are some of the moves that I kind of worry about going forward that they just won't be able to make. And then on top of that, actually improve the roster. Yeah, and it's just complete mismanagement of not only management of the roster, but also severe mismanagement of the salary cap position. I mean, look, I was of the opinion, and again, you know, I said this going into the 2020 offseason as well as the 2021 offseason. I was like, hey, listen, this roster, especially the defensive side of the ball, needs an infusion of young talent. And there's not a lot of encouraging young talent up and coming in the pipeline. I mean, there's a couple names here and there, but let's just be honest. I mean, Duke Shelley, Kendall Wilder, guys like Travis Gibson, it's just not a lot to fully compensate for having these guys be consistent 16, 17, 18 game starters throughout an entire season. The bears need to realize that they're going to need an infusion of a lot of um, young talent over the next couple of years. And then really, when you look at it, I mean, even the draft, like I mentioned, it's like, okay, in 2022, you have a second and third round pick, you have a fifth round pick. And then I think you have a sixth and seventh round pick, but then again, you don't get any compensatory picks. So you're getting no extra help there. And then you factor in that this is a regime where, they're always going to trade up. They are very rarely going to trade down. And it doesn't appear as if they're going to trade down in 
2022 simply because they know, hey, listen, we want our impact player and we want to go ahead and we want to trade up. Now, as Ryan Pace for Pace and that have trading up in the past worked for them, yeah, there's been occasions, but then every time it also seems like Ryan Pace is the one pulling the trigger. It hasn't necessarily worked. I mean, you look at a couple times here, you know, trading up, they missed on, as, as a not just Ryan Pace exclusively, but I want to talk Nagy and Pace trading up together. They traded up for Anthony Miller. Well, guess what? That didn't work out. They traded up for Justin Fields. Well, that's still to be determined. They traded up for, um, what's his name? Uh, Tevin Jenkins. Well, guess what? He's out half his rookie season now. Now, on the other hand, there is some justification in terms of you traded up for guys like Darnell Mooney and Travis Gibson, that kind of stuff worked out. So ultimately it's just an entire situation where it's just like the bears are going to have to take a much people thought the bears were conservative in the first half of the off season this year. They're going to have to be even more conservative going into 2022, knowing that the next two off seasons are about, resetting the foundation of the roster, but also building around Justin Fields. Yeah. I mean, the best case scenario I think is that they use 2022 as a year to kind of reset things in terms of, you know, getting out of some of their bigger contracts here. Like even a guy like Eddie Goldman, I think isn't even safe on this roster as well. They could save significant money by getting out of his deal. And I know that Eddie Goldman, he's still a very productive, he's probably still going to be a very productive player uh, next season. He's certainly a guy that I'd like to keep in an ideal situation, but this is all about setting up in terms of identifying the guys that are going to be on this team in 2023, 2024, 2025. Those are the years when you're really going to be able to make a push with Justin Fields in the final years of his rookie contract. So you want to set yourself up to where you're in a situation going forward where you can go all in on that three-year window there and then worry about the future after that. So 2022, the best-case scenario is that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy realize that you know this team has currently constructed – isn't at a place right now where it can compete for a championship, even if Justin Fields is you know, phenomenal, which I think could definitely be the case. But if we're going to maximize the entirety of his rookie contract, instead of pushing things into the future, once again, by, you know, redoing Khalil Mack's deal, redoing uh, Cody Whitehair's deal, redoing Eddie Jackson's deal, you know, they're going to have to extend Rock, uh, Roquan Smith to a giant contract coming up soon. You definitely got to get him uh, extended at some point. You know, they have to find a way to get out of some of these contracts for some of these older players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And if that means you have to absorb a lot of dead cap into 2022 and sacrifice that season a little bit and just hope that Justin Fields can be, you know, you can surround him with enough talent on offense to make it work and he can be that guy that kind of carries you into being a competitive team, then so be it. But this Offseason, it looks like going forward is going to have to be a year all about kind of transform things a little bit, you know, turn the roster significantly and try to identify another window to really push your chips in and go all in for because I don't think that year is next season. Um, you know, the exciting thing for the Bears is, you know, Justin Fields, he looks like the real deal. And as long as he's, you know, can continue to develop and prove himself to be a true franchise changing quarterback here. You know, things are going to be positive for them. They're going to be in a good spot, you know, moving forward into the future here. But in terms of the current outlook for where this team is at, in terms of where they're where they can be competitive, um, you know, we know that this year it's going to be tough with all the holes they have, you know, in the secondary, on the offensive line, et cetera, and, and some of the uh, depth deficiencies they have, as well as the fact that they're insistent on trying to start Andy Dalton early in the season here. Uh, but the hope is that 
they can you know fix some things in 2022, get the cap situation to where it's manageable for 2023, and really take advantage of the fact that you can have Justin Fields on this rookie contract moving forward here, and really take advantage of a couple of years where you have him for cheap and can really go all in on surrounding him with a lot of high quality talent. So we'll see what happens there. Like I said, you know, I hate to be negative on this podcast all the time when it comes to the salary cap situation, but this is something where I think it's very important in terms of noting, noting this right now, because this is something that we're going to be talking about a lot in the off season. Um, so I hate to be negative about this all the time, but again, I'm trying to be as realistic as possible. I would love for them to, you know, hopefully some young guys step up to, to where, you know, some of these needs that they're going to have in the roster aren't really as glaring as they look right now, especially at uh, off to tackle and in the cornerback room. You hope that some guys step up there, but I'm just not optimistic right now. You cannot leave things to chance at those spots. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to be realistic with where this team is at. But, you know, like I said, if Justin Fields is the guy that's going to fix, fix a lot of issues moving forward. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So moving on then, I think that's a good way to kind of end some Bears talk here for and shelve that for a little bit and get to some college football talk because, boy, was this an exciting weekend of college football to kick off the season. I know technically, uh, you know, last weekend with week zero was technically the kickoff of, uh, you know, the college football season, but this is where we started to see some of the primetime matchups here uh, in this last weekend slate of games. And really what I wanted to talk about, you say, was the quarterback situation because when you look at this quarterback class moving forward, we kind of knew going into the year that or a lot of scouts and analysts kind of went into this year kind of noting that, you know, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, those are kind of we're kind of seen as the top two dogs going into this year in terms of the 2022 draft class. And, uh, it, you know, it was a rough week for those two. When you look at Sam Howell throwing three, three interceptions, I think it was against Virginia Tech and his starting uh, in that game right there. And Spencer Rattler, he struggled. I think he threw two interceptions in his game, just did not look very good going up against a very small school in Tulane. Now I'll start with you on this. You said I've been talking for her, rambling out for a while here. Um, you know, what were some of the things that you saw from both of those two quarterbacks? Because like I said before, a lot of people see them as the top two quarterbacks going into this next year's class and just wasn't the greatest showing for them to start the season off. 
they certainly struggled. And I think when you look at Sam Howell, what is such an interesting case study and interesting factor is that this is a guy that's pretty much started at UNC for the last two seasons. And then Spencer Rattler going into year two under Lincoln Riley, everyone kind of thought he was going to be the next great Oklahoma quarterback to come out because again, Oklahoma has sent Kylo Murray as well as Baker Mayfield to the NFL. And so everyone thought, Hey, working with Lincoln Riley, Spencer was going to be the next guy in that line of OU quarterbacks, but they all struggled. And so now you kind of begin to wonder is one week of these guys struggling something to panic about? Absolutely not. But then also at the end of the day, when you look at it, you realize that it wasn't encouraging. And these aren't things that you want to see from guys that are multi-year starters. Can the trajectory and outlook for both these quarterbacks change? Absolutely. I think that when you look at Sam and you look at Spencer too, both of these guys have certainly shown that, hey, listen, we're going to bounce back quicker than originally anticipated. And so throw out week week one, you're going to factor it into their evaluations. But if the poor play continues, then you start hitting the panic button. If we're sitting here in mid-October, early November, and they're playing poorly, then you're like, okay, these guys weren't as good as we thought they were going to be. But if not, then you just throw week one out the window and move on. Well, yeah, you certainly hope this isn't a continuing trend. You know, I think Sam Howell, uh, for him, it was a bit of, a little bit of, you know, for one hand, he did not, did not play well by himself, but also I thought the situation around him was not very good. You know, North Carolina, they lost a lot of talent. Uh, going for, When you look at where their roster was at last year compared to this year, you know, they lost Diami Brown at wide receiver, Daz Newsom. Those are two of their top uh, options in the receiving game for him that he really was, was able to rely upon a lot over the last couple of years. He's been starting there for a couple of years now at North Carolina. And those were his two top options over that span. And uh, to lose both of those guys, I think that's going to be something to adjust to. We saw a lot of instances where, you know, his wide receivers were not bailing him out. There was a lot of, you know, catchable balls that he was throwing that weren't being brought in, pulled in. And, uh, you know, a lot of questionable stuff where, you know, he was throwing, it seems like he was making the right decisions at times and throwing accurate passes, but uh, his receivers just weren't able to come down with them. So I think part of that is going to have to find a way to get into a rhythm with some of these newer wide receivers, these younger wide receivers, and then losing both your running backs, Michael Carter and Vontae Williams, uh, two dynamic, explosive running backs that really, I think they made things very easy for him in terms of that offense always had a baseline to where they could rely upon their running game to really set the tone for them uh, every single pretty much in every single game last year and they're not going to have that as much this season because they just don't have that one-two punch at that running back position and you know the offensive line they struggled a lot in this game Virginia Tech they played a hell of a game I thought defensively in this game and yeah you know, you know it brings into question you know is Sam Howell as a prospect we know he's got very nice deep ball accuracy we know he's a guy who is not a one quarterback he can go through his progressions uh, throw the ball with good accuracy in the deep to intermediate part of the field uh, can occasionally make some plays with his legs, you know, when the opportunity is given to him, but he's not necessarily a dynamic athlete at the level of a Trey Lance or Justin Fields or even a Trevor Lawrence. Um, but he does have some arm, arm talent to work with. He does have, you know, so a, a good track record of being a guy that can go through his reads and progressions and get some multiple reads on, on the same play. But, you know, if this is something that continues for him, I think a lot of the narrative that will come from this is, is Sam Howell a guy who's more of a, a system type of quarterback in the NFL where if you put him in a good situation, he can execute the offense and look decent enough to where your offense can thrive a little bit? Or 
you know, is he that type of quarterback or can he be that quarterback that can carry an offense that can make up for holes on your team? And, you know, if you have some weaknesses here and there, can he make up for that with his natural talent ability? I'm not sure if Sam Howell is that guy. When I watched him over the summer and, you know, tried to delve a little bit deeper into his game and kind of get a read of him going into this year, you know, I, I saw some things that I liked, but I didn't see that natural upside that I saw in a Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or even a Trey Lance where all those guys had physical traits and abilities to where you could see that it popped off the tape when you were watching them. I, I didn't really see that as much with Sam Howell on the opposite side of the spectrum, Spencer Rattler, uh, you know, he's a very talented quarterback. He's probably the most talented quarterback in this draft class. And for me right now, he's probably the top dog in this quarterback class going into 2022. But I was very concerned from what I saw in this one game, because a lot of the same issues I saw from last year in terms of, you know, going off scripts for unnecessary reasons, throwing the ball in the traffic for unnecessary reasons, just making bad decisions um, and not taking care of the ball, um, you know, putting the ball at risk too much. A lot of those same things we saw here, we saw the playmaking ability. We saw the ability to go off script and make plays. And we saw the, the athleticism and arm talent, but we didn't quite see the consistency in terms of the decision-making and taking care of the ball. So that's where I'm kind of concerned. He got, that was something where he got better with it as the season went along last year, but it's looking like that regressed a little bit here in week one. So I'm hoping that he can iron that stuff out as the season goes along. But if not, that's going to be concerning for me because those are two flaws um, that I'm not sure goes away throughout the course of the season, but you know, those are something that they're going to have to both work on moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when we talk about Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler plenty, but when you kind of shift here to the other side of things, I think that quarterbacks that a lot of people didn't necessarily have projected as first round picks, but quarterbacks that a lot of people thought could certainly be risers include players like Malik Willis from Liberty, Carson Strong from Nevada, and then Matt Corral from Ole Miss. Now of all the quarterbacks in week one, I mean, I thought Matt Corral had probably the strongest performance. You saw everything needed to play quarterback effectively in the NFL on display with Matt Corral. I mean, you saw pocket presence, escapability, great throwing motion, excellent arm strength, the ability to go through progression, just kind of feel the pressure. You know, Matt Corral is a very smart and instinctive player. And so ultimately, look at guys like Willis, Strong, Corral. I mean, they all have unique traits to them. There's been a bit of a debate throughout the draft community on social media about a, Hey, a guy like Malik Willis, does this skill set fit more of a Lamar Jackson or more of a guy like a Trey Lance? I think that he's a fine line between both. He does have a bit more growing to do in terms of, Hey, can he just get the ball out faster? And then Carson strong as well, a player that I think has all the tools needed to just succeed and play in the NFL. It's just going to be a matter of, Hey, playing against lower level FCS or FBS competition. I'm sorry. Can he kind of elevate that? Um, and then take it to the next level and elevate the guys around him. And I think that when I talk about Willis strong Corral, I mean, one guy who elevates the, who seemingly elevated the guys around him against Louisville on Monday night, in fact, was Matt Corral. I thought the entire Ole Miss offense just looked better as a result of him. So these guys having these strong showings, I think is just so encouraging moving forward because every single year, at least over the last two seasons, kind of, well, I should say really the last three draft cycles, one of the major things that we've seen is a quarterback comes out of nowhere. I mean, in 2018, we had 
Kyler, well, in 2019, we had Kyler Murray. In 2020, everyone was talking about Joe Burrow had the big season. In 2021, it was Zach Wilson. And so now kind of this year, the debate is, hey, could a guy like a Willis or a Carson Strong or Matt Corral even be similar to like a Zach Wilson, for example, and just be have a one really good year and rise out of nowhere? Because I think the big trend that we're seeing more and more now across the league is – being a two to three year starter in college is always going to be valuable. But then at the end of the day, teams, front offices, GMs, head coaches, they basically have also said that, hey, look, if you have won a really good season in college, your production's off the charts, you've got insane athleticism, you show us that you can play the game at a high level and you're a really smart and instinctive player. It doesn't matter that you started only one year we will go ahead and take a chance on you or that you had one really good year of production. We're still going to take a chance on you. Well, it also speaks to recency bias as well, getting to the minds of, the G- of these GMs in terms of, you know, do you take into account the guy who has a more full body of work or to, do you value the guy who had that explosive final year in his last year of college um, and seems to be on an upward trajectory? And we saw that, like you kind of mentioned there, Joe Burrow, you know, was kind of a middling college quarterback for the majority of his career, whether it be at Ohio State or LSU. And then he has that giant breakout year where literally probably the best season a quarterback has ever had at the collegiate level. And, you know, we obviously saw NFL offenses or NFL uh, front offices value that more than a guy like Justin Herbert, who was a starter for three years at Oregon. They value that over a guy like Tua, who had uh, multiple years as a starter at Alabama. Um, and then we saw that again this past year where we were talking about Justin Fields and Trey Lance before uh, the season as these prospects that were no doubt top five picks in the draft were going to be going high in the draft because of their physical upside. And then Zach Wilson comes out of nowhere. And yeah, Trevor Lawrence uh, teams obviously still valued him as the number one quarterback in this class, just because, you know, he's been that type of, he's, he's on that level of a prospect where a lot of people consider him the best since an Andrew Luck, the best since a Peyton Manning on that level of a prospect. But you know, Justin Fields and Trey Lance weren't too far behind Lawrence, I think, for a lot of people going into the process. And Zach Wilson, because of the recency bias of that last year, a lot of teams felt that he, and myself included, I, I thought Zach Wilson was better than both of those quarterbacks coming out as a prospect. Um, you know, that recency bias does tend to, you know, take hold of some of these evaluators when it comes to this thing. So if Matt Corral can continue to, you know, he had a pretty good year last year, I thought. Uh, for Ole Miss, if he can continue to stack games here moving forward and really be that guy uh, this year, I, I think he's definitely a guy who – because he, he he's a fun player to watch, first of all, already. If he can be continue to be more consistent and guys like Malik Willis and Carson Strong, you know, Willis is interesting, I think, because the physical tools are all there. It's just that can he be accurate consistently? Can he be consistent with his decision-making? Those are some of the things that you're looking to see him iron out this year. And then Carson Strong maybe isn't the athlete um, that or uh, doesn't have that quite have that ability to go off script to some of these other guys, but the arm talent really pops when you watch him play. I mean, he made a couple throws um, in, in that one game that he had this last week where uh, he was throwing darts into you know tight coverage down the sideline there. Really impressive stuff from Carson Strong. So if, if we see this be a consistent trend where Howell and Rattler, they continue to struggle or a little bit more up and down throughout the course of the year. And Willis, Strong, Corral, and I'll, I'll even throw a guy like Desmond Ritter for Cincinnati, who had a strong opening statement um, in week one. Um, and he, had, he had a really nice game in week one as well. Uh, we can see this quarterback conversation be very interesting when we get to the offseason moving forward here. 
Um, so I think that's a good time then to, you know, talk about week one of the college football season. Let's transition to talking about week two and, tr- and trying to pre- preview some of the notable games from this upcoming weekend in terms of, you know, what are the matchups we're looking at, where some of the players we're looking at. And for me, I'll start with this one you said. Uh, I'm really excited to watch this Oregon versus Ohio State game. Uh, that's going to be on Saturday, I believe. Yeah, it's going to be on Saturday on Fox at 11 o'clock in the morning, their central time. Uh, really excited to see this one. You know, Oregon ranked 12th in the nation. Ohio State ranked third in the nation coming off their win against Minnesota. And specifically for this one, what really excites me about this game is I want to see Kayvon Thibodeau and how he does against his Ohio State offensive line. This Ohio State offensive line is considered one of the best, if not the best in the country. And Thibodeau, he's considered, if not the best edge rusher prospect in this upcoming draft, he might be the best prospect in this upcoming draft. I mean, he, he looked very good before he got knocked out with an injury in Oregon's first game this uh, in this past weekend. But it's going to be a nice showcase, I think, for Thibodeau to see whether he's the real deal or not as a prospect because uh, he's going to be on the big stage here. He's going up against quality competition. And it, it's going to be very exciting because – I. I'm really excited to see Thibodeau's development this season. And if he has a big game here, you know, watch out for his draft stock because he could be, he could very well be on that level of a Miles Garrett, Chase Young type of prospect on the edge. And that that's a scary thought because he, he's, he's a very good player. I'm excited to see him play this weekend. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau, I know there's he had the injury scare. I'm actually not sure if he's playing this Saturday against Ohio State, but he's certainly going to be a prospect to keep an eye on because he's such a freak of an athlete. And when I look at him, I see a blue-chip edge rusher prospect. I see a lot of um, Von Miller to his game just in terms of the bend, the speed, the length that he brings. His ability just, you know, that first step, I mean, it's phenomenal. And I think that it – Compared to some of the edge rushers we saw in the 2020 draft, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is hands down the best edge rusher prospect to come out since Chase Young about two years ago. But then also you look at this Ohio State game. I mean, some of the other things to look at are this, is that that Ohio State offensive line, I mean, they played pretty solid in week one against Minnesota. They did lose guys like Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers to the NFL. So keep an eye on Thayer Munford on the outside. Watch for those playmakers. I mean, hey, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Chris Olave is just absolutely smooth. I mean, he looks like Keenan Allen light to me. Jeremy Ruckert's a really good tight end. Ohio State, you could argue right now, is probably the best trio of running backs in the nation. But the big key there is going to be uh, C.J. Stroud, the new starting quarterback for Ohio State. You look at him against Minnesota, you saw a lot of jitters in that first week, that first half. You saw times where he was overthinking things, times where you know that, okay, a more experienced quarterback would certainly hit those throws. And again, I'm not knocking on C.J. Stroud in any way, shape, or form because as a 19-year-old on national television, there's going to be a lot of jitters. That second half, though, everything slowed down for him. You saw him get more comfortable, go through his progression 
possessions, one, two, three. And the biggest thing that stuck out to me about CJ in that game against Minnesota was it was close until the Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave touchdowns. Hey, CJ Stroud stayed confident and made plays when he needed to. So what he does moving forward, although he may not be the explosive and dynamic quarterback for Ohio State that Justin Fields was, he still has the opportunity to develop into a really solid quarterback. Well, the talent is all there for Stroud. And it's kind of funny because you think about, you talk, we talk about Stroud maybe, you know, struggling early on in this game, being a little bit inconsistent throughout the course of that game against Minnesota. They still put up like over 40 points in that game. They still scored eight you know, pretty much at will in the second half there. So that kind of speaks to how talented this offense is around C.J. Stroud. He can have, I wouldn't say a bad game, but a game where he struggled for good stretches of the time there. And this offense can still put up points at ease. And, uh, you know, it's going to take a really nice defensive effort from Oregon in order to keep this game close, I think. Tibbet is going to be a big part of it, but he's only one player here. So that's going to be interesting in the game to watch in terms of the matchup there. Again, I'm really excited to see how this offensive line does against Thibodeau. But like you said, watching Stroud and his development with these wide receivers, you know, you know, Olave, you know, he, he's he looks really good. His route running is is phenomenal. Uh, I'm so I'm still surprised he didn't go into the draft last year and then he waited another year to enter the draft. But uh, he's making an early case to be the number one wide receiver in his upcoming class already. Uh, he looked phenomenal out there against Minnesota. And in terms of another game this weekend, you say I'll go to you here. Uh, what game are you looking out for in terms of, you know, a matchup you're looking for in this game or, you know, just what's, what's one game that intrigues you this upcoming weekend? Yeah. So I think there's actually two teams that intrigue me per se. Now the first one's going to be UAB against Georgia. I mean, UAB, sometimes I understand they are not necessarily that interesting to watch, but Hey, look, we know what Georgia starting quarterback JT Daniels is, right? We know that he's a player that um, is limited. If JT Daniels and Georgia is going to take the next step, then JT has to elevate the players around him. But I really like what I saw from that Georgia front seven on Saturday night against Clemson. I mean, those, guys were all over the field so I want to see Kirby Smart in this unit kind of and the entire team really just continue to take that next step and then I think something you need to factor in for Georgia is hey is there going to be a true number one wide receiver that kind of emerges this season I know that in years past they've had guys like Riley Ridley well hey look Who's going to emerge this year for Georgia as a pass catcher? I mean, they have a phenomenal stable of running backs there too. And then on the other hand, I mean, I know Clemson's actually playing South Carolina State this year. You look at Clemson, I mean, they absolutely struggled so badly in that first game against Georgia. They couldn't get anything going. DJ Ugalele played way worse than I thought he was going to play, especially for a guy that kind of spent some time on the bench learning behind Trevor Lawrence. I thought that Ugalele, I knew there was going to be a talent downgrade from going from Trevor Lawrence to Ugalele, but he struggled mightily. And again, we can't just pin all the blames on Ugalele because Clemson, they did lose Jackson Carmen to the NFL. Travis Etienne went to the NFL as well. And then you look at over the last couple of years, some of the foundational pieces like a T Higgins, for example, also, decided to turn pro so ultimately i mean i'm looking to see hey what is clemson going to kind of go ahead and do against south carolina state because for one of the best programs in the country is losing an opening game to a team like georgia is that going to kind of put a stain on your resume yeah especially knowing the stakes that exist with the college football playoff and then one final note here i believe alabama um 
I forgot who exactly they're playing. Look, we talked about this with Nick Kelly when we did the Alabama season preview. I mean, I understand every single starter on Alabama over the last two years outside of Evan Neal, the offensive tackles turned pro. But, hey, Bama is so plug and play. They didn't even miss a beat with quarterback Bryce Young. And I think we talk about Alabama being a football factory which it is, but I think with Bryce Young now in the fold, it's slowly becoming a quarterback factory too, in its own right, by the way. It's really an offensive factory in general now. With the way these this, this, they've changed that entire program to go from a defensive-minded program to an offensive-minded program. Uh, yeah, Alabama, they looked dominant against Miami. Like, I can't imagine how bad they're going to beat Mercer this weekend, like, First of all, like how much how much are they paying Mercer to you know get their asses kicked by them this weekend? Like seriously, <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be a bloodbath this weekend. Uh, first of all, but yeah, Alabama they look, they look like the class of college football once again. Bryce Young, like you said he looked pretty good out, out there in this game. Evan Neal had off to tackle looked good. Uh, I, they just look to be dominant once again, and it, it's tough to see many teams beating them this year. You know, I think Georgia do, though does bring a challenge to them with how that defense defense played. Uh, against Clemson that defense they looked fast they looked instinctive um they were dominating up front you know Clemson doesn't have the greatest offensive line in the world but uh Georgia they were very impressive like you said you know I'm interested to see you know how does Clemson bat you know bounce back uh from that how does Ugalele especially a quarterback bounce back but like you alluded to you know Clemson they lost a lot of talent over the last couple years um on the offensive side of the ball and you know that's tough to replace I know Clemson they've been you know a bit of a factory over the over the past you know, five or so years as well. Um, but it's it's tough when you don't have a quarterback like a Deshaun Watson or a Trevor Lawrence there, guys that are so great um, that they just elevate the entire program around them. You know, it, it, it does make things tougher. And if you're not a team like Alabama or you're loaded at every single position with five-star recruits and NFL players at every single position, uh, that does make things tougher for you. Uh, a couple other games I want to point out. Uh, I, I do want to mention uh, – you know, North Carolina, they're playing, you know, who are they playing here this upcoming weekend? They're playing uh, Georgia State this weekend, obviously not a big school, but I want to see how Sam Howell bounces back after, you know, throwing those three interceptions. And of course, Oklahoma, how does Spencer Rattler uh, respond after his struggles in week one? They're going against Western Carolina. You know, they're not going against tough opponents this upcoming week. We look at Rattler and Howell uh, this upcoming weekend, but I want to see how those two bounce back because, you know, again, I still think those are the top two quarterbacks right now when we're looking at 2022 drafts until proven otherwise. Uh, we still need a larger sample size from this year to kind of see where how these quarterbacks shake out um, going into this upcoming draft cycle. But I want to, I'm really interested to see how those two perform this upcoming week and week two because if we start to see some of the same issues continue to pop up week after week, Again, we kind of mentioned it earlier. That's going to be concerning moving forward. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. So I, I think that's a good time to kind of wrap up our college football talk and Move on to the Bears here to end this podcast here. You said, and 
let's talk about this upcoming game against the Rams here. It's, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, the Bears going up against the Rams on Sunday night football, uh, 7.20 kickoff, I believe, Central time. So, you know, I'm going to start off with you. You said, you know, what are some of the things you're looking at in terms of the matchups and, you know, some of the X factors you're seeing in this game in terms of, you know, what can the Bears rely upon in terms of the strengths and what are the, what are the strengths for this Bears team in terms of the matchup here? And what are some of the weaknesses in terms of what, you know, are the Bears going to be struggling with against this Rams team on Sunday? Yeah, well, I think the biggest question that the Bears are going to have to answer is this, is that, hey, who is more important to have to neutralize or stop on the Los Angeles Rams? Because we know what Aaron Donald is. I mean, he is the best defensive tackle in the NFL right now. But then on the other side of it, I mean, look, the Rams wanted to get more explosive on offense. They wanted to be more consistent. So how do you do that? Well, you go out and you trade for an explosive big arm quarterback in Matthew Stafford. So for the Bears, I mean, what's more important? Is it neutralizing Aaron Donald? Or is it on the defensive side of the ball where you're just going to have to figure out a way to slow down Matthew Stafford? And you look at him, I mean, look, like I said a moment ago, McVay wanted to get more explosive. He wanted to have a quarterback that was going to win through the air, and Matthew Stafford gives you the best opportunity to do that. So Chicago is just going to have to prioritize, and I think, unfortunately, the Bears are going to have to focus more on slowing Matt Stafford down, even though they have a depleted second, specifically because of a depleted cornerback room where your most experienced player right now is Artie Burns, who's a former first-round pick. Other than that, it's basically Jalen Johnson, Duke Shelley, Kendall Vildor, who, again, those guys aren't bad, but you know what? Shelly and Vildor do not necessarily inspire confidence. I mean, they're both going into prove it years. And then you look at you know, matchups and predictions. Hey, is Jalen Ramsey going to be the chess piece that the Rams move all over the field? Is he going to be shadowing only Allen Robinson throughout the game? Or is this going to be a situation, a scenario where he's on Allen Robinson one play, then he's on Darnell Mooney the next play? For the Bears, you know, what type of offense are you going to run? Are you going to come out and you're going to do something where it's like a dink and dunk, a chuck and duck type offense where you are legitimately just calling quick, short, easy passes to just get the ball out of Andy Dalton's hands, get the ball into playmakers' hands, let them do most of the work. What are you going to do to get Andy Dalton in rhythm? So the Bears have a lot to sort out here. And this first game is going to be very telling of what to kind of expect moving forward, even though there are going to be adjustments made and everyone's going to overreact like usual because that's just what the Bears fan base does. Well, I, I think starting off offensively in this game, I, I think for the Bears here, it really comes down to controlling the line of scrimmage in this game. And they're going to be – it's going to be tough for them. You know, Aaron Donald is a one-man wrecking crew uh, for that defense there with the Rams. And they have a loaded front seven in terms of the front defensive line, the edge group for the Rams as well. Um, and, you know, we talk about this Bears offensive line being an issue for this Bears offense – you know, will that manifest here in week one of this game? What are the Bears going to do to counteract Aaron Donald here in this one? How are they going to game plan against him and make sure that he doesn't single-handedly dominate this game and ruin their game plan? Because like you said, Jalen Ramsey in the quarterback spot, you know, the, the Rams, they lost some talent in the secondary. And I think the Bears, you know, with some of the speed that they added at wide receiver this offseason, off I think there are some matchups for them to exploit against the Rams secondary. Like I think, for instance, uh, you know, the Bears tight ends going up, going up against the Rams linebackers uh, in coverage there. I think that's a matchup that they can exploit because even though I'm not, I'm still not as high as others on Cole Komet. And, you know, I, I think Jimmy Graham isn't what he wants. He obviously isn't what he once was 
um, as a player in terms of bringing that value outside of the red zone that he, that he, that he can at this stage in his career. I still think they have a talent advantage over what the, the, the Rams have at that linebacker position. The Rams, they have one of the worst linebacker groups in the NFL. They've kind of rolled with uh, that w- a weak position group there for a couple of years now. And it's, it's, they, they've been able to work a, around that on their defense, on the defense, but with Brandon Staley gone with some of the uh, talent in the secondary gone, gone for them. You know, I think that is a matchup that the bears can exploit in this one, but it comes down to, can they control the line of scrimmage? Can they run the ball efficiently and effectively? Can they protect Andy Dalton? And then can they just make sure that Aaron Donald doesn't wreck this game by himself? Because if Aaron Donald does that, the Bears offense has no chance in this one. I don't really care because a lot of their offense is going to be dependent on that play action game, trying to get deep shots over the top there. And in order to get those deep explosive plays down the field, you need to have good protection there. And if you can't do that with a Fetty on the outside and it appears, and we start to see his conditioning come to question here. And, and you know, Aaron Donald's getting pressure up the middle there. It's going to be a long night for the Bears offense. You know, on the opposite end for the defensive side of the ball, it's kind of like the opposite story here because I think the Bears, they have a good matchup going, going up against this Rams front where I think they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage against the Rams offensive line with how deep and talented their defensive uh, front seven is. But I really, I'm really scared to see what McVay schemes up against this Bears secondary here because I feel like they're not going to, you know, I feel like offenses in general this year, they're not going to try to challenge Jalen Johnson or A. Jackson here. And they're just going to pick apart, you know, Kim Vildor on the outside and uh, Duke Shelley in the slot. Like those are huge question marks for this defense. And we're going to find out right, right away whether those two guys are capable of stepping up to the challenge here because. I think McVay is going to find, try to find a lot of ways to scheme around them and try to exploit those two and attack them with mismatches. You know, you have really good wide receivers for the Rams here with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. They're two reliable weapons in this offense. You have Deshaun Jackson, who, yeah, when he's, he struggles to stay healthy, he's getting up there in age, but when he's on the field, he's still one of the best deep threats in the game still. They have a lot more speed on the offensive side of the ball, and you know, they have a better quarterback than what we've seen in the years past from this Rams team. Matthew Stafford, he's an upgrade over Jared Goff, and he's going to be able to find these guys down the field if the Bears, you know, don't have their coverage tightened up in this game. So I'm really concerned about the secondary. And, you know, honestly, that could be something that really turns the tide for this game in general because if the Bears can't cover these Rams wide receivers, especially the way that the Rams are able to scheme guys open off of play action with the bootleg game, uh, that just makes things so much easier for their offense. It it could be a struggle for this defense to stop them uh, going forward in this game. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, we talked about this week one game, I mean, against the Rams. I think something notable to just analyze is that the Bears under Matt Nagy have sh- – not been very prepared for season openers. They should technically be 0-3, but the Bears are lucky to be 1-2. You look at 2018-2019 against Green Bay, I mean, the Bears lost both times. And then you look at 2020 against the Lions, I mean, the Bears were down big, and it took 21 points in the fourth quarter for them to kind of come back and then eventually end up winning that game against Detroit. I want to flash back to 2018 for a second here. I understand the Bears were a young team at the time. You know, everything was relatively new. They were running a new scheme. 
And they were up, I think it was like 17-0 at the halftime. But then at the end of the day, they just failed to close it out. And it's kind of become a consistent theme for the Bears is that they're just going to have to jump out to a fast start here in order to really keep pace with everything that's going on. Because what will happen is this, is Chicago is going to rely on the defense to kind of hold the fort down but you can't wait forever for the offense to get going. At some point, it's going to have to be the Bears winning because of the offense and not necessarily even because of the defense. And there's going to be there's going to be more plays that need to be made by Andy Dalton and the rest of the offense than anything that the defense is going to be able to offer. Yeah, certainly I think the Bears are going to have to score some more points in this one if they're going to uh, you know, stay in this game and beat the, this Rams team because – you know, in these matchups, ever since 2018, where they've had a, it seems like a yearly tradition where the Bears and Rams have had, you know, primetime games against each other uh, in 2018, 19, 20. All these games have been low scoring affairs where the Bears, they just have really struggled on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, they're going to need to score more points here because this Rams offense, I think they got better this offseason. Uh, and I think it's going to show in this week one uh, game right here against this Bears secondary that just has way too many holes in this. So let's, uh, End the scene here, you say, by predicting the game here and, uh, you know, giving us a score and, and what, how you think this game is going to go. So I'll start with you, you said, who do you think was this game? What do you think the score is? And what do you think is going to be the key thing here uh, that kind of turns the tide for this game? So give me Rams 24, Bears 17. I think the Bears are going to keep it close, but ultimately the Rams being just the better coach team is what is going to make the difference in this game. You look at Sean McVay on the offensive side of the ball. He's a head coach that's always wanted to emphasize details. Matt Nagy's kind of talked about emphasizing details too, but let's just be real honest with ourselves and not sugarcoat anything. Matt Nagy sucked at emphasizing details and the Bears are seemingly starting all over again on offense with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. I get the Rams are kind of starting over with Jared Goff or I'm sorry with Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff now being in Detroit but at the end of the day hey guess what I would feel way more confident if Matt Stafford knowing that he's played this game at a high level for a long time and he's elevated the guys around him was the starting quarterback for any of the other 31 teams going into a week one matchup even if it was with a new head coach and I think that everything that's come out of Los Angeles this offseason has seemingly suggested that Matt Stafford and Sean McVay have built up a dynamic and chemistry way more quickly than anyone else anticipated. Yeah, I'm going to go with a similar uh, tune as you here with this one. I'm going with the Rams 27-16 this one. You know, I think the Bears will keep it close early on, but I think eventually the dam's going to break and, and this Rams team is going to, a couple, going to get a couple explosive plays against this Bears secondary Unfortunately, with the Bears having to go from behind, I think it's going to play against their strengths as an offense because I think they really want to emphasize the play-action game uh, this year. And I think it's going to really help them with the way their offensive line is. But if they have to go to a traditional, traditional, like, drop-back passing game where Andy Dalton's in the shotgun and he's not, you know, relying on play-action and he has to go up against this Rams pass rush that's pinning their ears back and going after you with this, with this offensive line – it's not going to be a recipe uh, for success for this, for this game right here. So I'm um, taking the Rams in this one, 27-16. Rough start for the Bears to start the year. But you know what? At the end of the day, we're kind of just waiting for Justin Fields to, to take the field in this one. I don't think Habs is a week one here, so I'm not going to make that bold prediction. But that, that does get us closer, I think, to Justin Fields eventually getting in the starting lineup and playing quarterback this season for the Chicago Bears. 
All right, I think that's going to wrap it up here for this episode of the Picks for Pays podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pays to get updates on college football Saturdays as well as just to get more information for our podcast and the, and the type of content that we're going to be throwing out there this year. Uh, you say it, I'm going to go to you, to you here now. Now, where can our followers find your work and follow you on social media? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bay Report. I'm going to have a couple articles dropping a week during the season. And like Andrew said, hey, listen, follow Picks for Pace. We're going to be taking a different approach this year. I'm actually going to be live tweeting a lot of the Saturday night games. So those nationally televised ones, guys, I'm going to be live tweeting those from, I want to say, like, 6 in the evening, no, I want to say like 3 or 4 p.m. Central time, all the way until like 1 or 2 in the morning, those Pac-12 games, and then might even throw in some Bears analysis there on Sunday. But certainly check it out, guys. You know, we'll try to have some like quick film breakdowns, things of that nature for you guys as well. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to give you say to follow and follow his work this season. As for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Freeman 25 Make sure to, keep, to tune in for uh, my weekly game recaps on the Bearport YouTube channel for film breakdowns. I'll be breaking down about 10 plays from each game, kind of going over some of the key plays from each one, looking at the scheme, looking at key players, some guys that stood out, and just from just some general things that kind of stand out to me when watching these games uh, on a weekly basis here. Also make sure to keep note of my weekly series in terms of tracking the trenches. I'm going to be bringing that back. I, I started that last year in terms of, you know, calculating um, and, and tracking how the offensive line did in pass protection and how the defensive line did with their pass rush. You're looking at pass rush, win rate, pressures, sacks, all that fun statistical stuff um, to kind of dig in here. I'm going to be bringing that back to the table once again, once a week for following each and every one of these games here. So really excited to bring those two projects back. And of course, remember to keep on following us here at Picks for Pace for everything that we're going to be doing during the season. I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. Make sure to follow us once again on all social media platforms at the Bearport as well. And, you know, it's going to be an exciting weekend of football in terms of college football. And of course, with the Bears on Sunday night, we hope that it, you know, we're wrong with our predictions here. We get to see a Bears win. But until that time, Bears fans, bear down and let's hope for a Bears win on Sunday. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com